Inside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Andrew, how are you? I'm good. You know, I love Thanksgiving. Love this time of year. Um, what are you going to be doing this year? I know people's Thanksgiving plans have all kind of now need to be improvised and people are changing things up on the fly. We were supposed to go home to Philadelphia, but now we're going to going to keep it nice and tight here with uh, just the the fam, myself, my wife and my two boys. What yeah. are you up to? Well, um, we've been myself and my girlfriend have been isolating for the last two weeks um, so we can go up and visit um, Darcy's mother, who is on her own upstate so that means it's just the two households and she's not been going out and we've all been getting covid tested and um we're gonna we're gonna drive up so we're taking away we have i haven't had real human contact in in weeks andrew you are the only one i see what a sad existence it is but i I would like to give a a shout out to my friend uh, alvaro who yesterday texted me if i wanted to go to the park and socially distance kick the ball around oh and it was it was just that we went up at lunchtime and it was such a joyous moment, Andrew. It was one of those beautiful, crisp fall days. It was really windy. The sun was out and we just booted that ball around for about an hour. And it was, it just felt great. It's just, uh, that sounds amazing. There's like nothing I want to do more right now than that. I've been in my living room kicking. Jack has like a mini soccer ball and I, I, I make games out of it myself. I don't even let him play. I try to like, I stand in the back of the living room and I try to kick it and have it land on the couch. It's not easy. It's not easy, but I'm getting better. Particularly with a man who has hams for legs. I have a very good right foot, but I'm limited beyond that. Um, And and this Thanksgiving, of course, we will all take in the time-honored tradition as families do in the United States. They eat their their uh, turkeys and and stuffings and mashed potatoes. They they light a nice fire in the fireplace, and then, mm-hmm. as we have for many years, sit around the TV together afterwards and take in the Europa League. Oh yes, it's a time honored tradition. The pilgrims began this tradition. They sat down with their large buckle hats and their buckle shoes, and they rested their food while watching lower grade yeah. European soccer. Right. Thank you, natives, for this corn. Now we watch Sevilla take on Dinipro Dinipropravesk. Alania Vladikavkaz in the next game. <laughs> what a show we have coming up for you. This was a, a very busy weekend in the Premier League. Um, Tottenham and Manchester City, Liverpool, Leicester City, Manchester United converting more penalties, Arsenal not scoring goals. Uh, a lot to get to there. And then a lot to get to here domestically in MLS. Postseason is underway. Doug McIntyre of Yahoo Sports, um, he'll join us in just a little bit. We'll go through everything that happened over the course of the weekend. JJ, there were, I would say there was a very high ratio of minutes to screaming. Like the number of times when I was when I was watching a game and just suddenly would just kind of be like, ah, oh. Like I felt like it was a higher rate than what I'm normal. The NYCFC Orlando City ending is one of the craziest, I'd say, 25-minute periods of time that I've seen. The Sporting Kansas City match was unbelievable. Like There was just so many ah moments. So I look forward to talking about them with Doug. Yeah, I, I definitely do too. And that, The NYC, NYCFC Orlando finish was 
as interesting, as thrilling, as bizarre, as terrible, and as embarrassing a finish I've seen to a game. All those things mushed together, um, including the most the most junior varsity penalty I've ever seen to decide a game in my life. It was the classic, the goalkeeper doesn't even need to dive at all to get to this ball. And, and he's not even the goalkeeper. Oh my God. It was, it was outrageous. Truly outrageous. And I will tell you this as a tease for later in the show, because we have man, uh, red cards and man of the match, bad penalty taking will come up later on in the program. That's all. There's been say. an epidemic, I feel. That's all I'm going to say. It's been an epidemic within one club specifically. We'll talk about them a little later on in the show. But let's start, JJ. Let's start right now in the Premier League. And let's start with Tottenham 2, Manchester City 0. Um, when you, you, you look at the table right now, you look at some of the recent results from Spurs, and it's, it becomes very easy to forget that this season was not supposed to go this way for them. This was... I mean, we can go back and rehash our our Premier League preview episodes and talk about what we thought of Spurs, but we thought we were looking at what? Sixth place club. You know, they were going to struggle to score goals. They they still we weren't sure about them uh, how intact they would be defensively, bringing back Eric Dyer, was he is he really the right man to be playing center half? And up till now, uh, we'd have to say we were we were wrong on on many of these accounts. It's incredible, and it's a window into your life and the way you view the world, that you begin this podcast by admonishing yourself over something we said months ago, when last week we literally called exactly how this freaking game was going to go. We called the result. We even called exactly how the game would be executed by Mourinho. But Andy has to come on and spank himself. Well, stop spanking yourself, you weirdo, okay? Keep your own weird self-flagellation to yourself because we got this one right and we don't give ourselves pat on the backs regularly. So now it's time to do it. I know. I just don't know if people want to hear me do that about Tottenham specifically. Well, oh, well, fair enough. Okay. I, and I get that. And I do have that inclination. Like I, have to, I have to approach them with some with a bit of measuredness. I can't just come on and say, I was right. I know everything about this club and you don't know anything. Well, there are things we've been wrong about. There certainly are. In fact, can I get to one of those things right now? Go ahead. Well, and we'll talk about this game specifically, but I was going to get to this later. But if we're talking about things we've been right about, wrong about, um, we I think we do have to talk about Mourinho. And we've kind of fought that urge, you and I, over the past several weeks because oftentimes it devolves into uh, petty shouting and name calling. Um, you know, multiple times I've had to shut down the podcast. You've had to then call me and drag me back on so we could finish. Um, and I don't want that for us, uh, especially in this week of Thanksgiving. But I want to say this about uh, with, about Mourinho, and I think it's something that no matter how you feel about him, this is a thing that we all now have to agree on because you can dislike his style. That's perfectly valid. Um, you know that that is a matter of taste, preference, and I'm not going to tell you, JJ, or anybody um, that your preference is wrong on something. Um, but I think that what we can say now is that the number one criticism of him that's been levied against him so many times over the past year that the game has passed him by. I think we can now all say that that is false because he inherited a team under Maurizio. Wait, 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 I, okay, go on. Actually, I, I, I was going to jump in there, but I, with, with, with righteous indignation, but go on. Sorry. 
Well, I'm curious. I'm curious what part you're disagreeing with—the part that the game is passing by, or the part that that's something people have been saying about him. No, that we can just we can just say now the game has passed him. That 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 forget that about that. Mourinho's back. Yes, correct. You agree. Thank you. Um, here, here's why I say this: He inherited a team under Pochettino that was broken. All right, like we can relitigate the Pochettino era, but at the end of it, it was it was a broken team. Um, you know, Eric Dyer had devolved into a bit part. Alderweireld. Th- these are things, by the way, not that people have said. These are things that were said by you and me. Like I was done with Dyer. Alderweireld. We both felt okay. He's still good, but he's he's over the hill. Like he's past the Alderweireld that we thought he was going to be. Tangi and Dombele. Like again, we were admonishing Mourinho. You have once again taken this this club record signing, but because he wasn't yours, you have made an enemy out of him. This is Pogba all over again. Yeah, you know, and, and like. Look where we are now exactly one year later. It's the one-year anniversary of him being with this club. He has them top of the table for the first time since 2014. And over the course of this one calendar year, only two clubs have registered more points than Mourinho's Spurs. And like I said, that's over the course of a year in which he inherited a team that we thought was fringe, fringe top four at best. And look where they are now. So, like again, dislike his style, dislike him personally. Uh, that's again, these are all like you could watch the Amazon Prime show and say, I don't, this guy is not my cup of tea. That's fine. But I just, I think we have now seen enough over one full year where we cannot say the game has passed him by. It's not true. Um, it, it's yet to be determined whether long term Mourinho's style. And I mean, I mean, tactically, I'm not talking about his style off the field. I, I, I personally believe that I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not sure that's the way to go about running a football club, but um, I'm happy to be wrong so far and to be proven wrong so far about the, the, the tactics on the field and the way this team has operated. But again, last week, we, we, we said, we called this result. We said this was set up perfectly to disrupt, disrupt Manchester City, that we, we talked about what Mourinho would say, we, that he would to quote him from um, All or Nothing, from the Leipzig game, we'll F them on the break. This is the culmination of of everything he's wanted this team to be. And you're quite right. He's got Spurs organized. Last season, uh, it was Southampton away in the league when Alderweireld was put into the spin cycle. How many times? I thought, you can't keep playing this guy. It's over. He was, Alderweireld was destroyed at um, Brighton by Aaron Connolly and by Danny Ings at Southampton. And I thought, no, it's done. He needs to change personnel. Eric Dyer at centre-back didn't think it's a good idea. Still not 100% convinced overall, but it's it's so much better. And I give credit to Mourinho. They're organised, they're compact. But the crucial thing that's happening now, Andrew, is is further up the field. Like, they are genuinely embracing the idea of playing on the break and of being that kind of explosive team in spurts. But let's not kid ourselves. The basic game plan from what was wretched to watch last season and now hasn't changed that much. Look at the statistics from the weekend, Andrew. Um, Manchester City at 22 shots. Tottenham at four. Two shots on target. Two goals. They kept the ball at home. For 33% of the game, they were outpassed twice. You know, Mourinho is still doing Mourinho things, but it's working now. What's the key things that have happened? You identified it. He's got Dyer and he's got Alderweireld defending. And where are they defending? At most, 
25 yards from their own goal. They're sitting deep. It's easier to do that. Why? Because there's no space in beside. Andrew, if I said tomorrow Spurs are going to play a high line with both those players, what would you say? Uh, that's risky. It's a disaster waiting to happen. It, it's not a good idea. So they don't do that. What he's done is he's got them organized in a really good way. He's The front office has also backed him. Like Regulon has been brilliant since he's come in. Uh, Matt Doherty, when he's played, has contributed. Aurier has stepped up. Well, no, a lot of I'll, I'll a stop lot you there because I think that what you just said about Doherty and Aurier is the interesting thing. Because remember, a couple of years ago when Tottenham didn't make any signings, we talked about will this no, will will doing that cause some of your key players to feel like they're not being pushed and they can get complacent. I mean, Aurier, like bringing in Doherty to me and now seeing the way Aurier is playing, it, it, they have to be related to one another. Aurier has lifted his game because he sees the competition right there next to him every single day, and he's becoming harder to not play because of it. Right. Um, one of the big problems I had with Mourinho last year was uh, when the ball would would be in the attacking phase, the attacking third, and Tottenham had it, there was no patterns of play. But now you can see them. Now you can see Harry Kane drops off. And he, look at the second goal. That The second goal was 100% what Mourinho wants. And, and you got to give him credit for drilling that into the team and making it work. Regulon wins the ball. Remember, Man City are on the attack. The ball gets to Alderweireld. He finds Kane. Kane finds La Celsa. They break and it's 2-0 and it's game over. And I give Mourinho 100% credit for making this work. Now, where I'll hold back a little bit is when they play Liverpool. Now, I know that's, that's in Dece- on December 16th. That, to me, will be more of a litmus test than playing Manchester City. Because don't forget, even Spurs who were in their genesis last season, could manage to beat Manchester City. Remember, they put out half a team. Um, Tanganga, was it? Was that his Premier League debut? No, Liverpool was his debut. Okay, it was probably his second or third game, whatever. Um, and, and Mourinho could still find a way to beat Pep Guardiola's side. So the real test is against Liverpool and what they're going to do there. And, and I firmly believe that Tottenham Hotspur are in a title race right now. I I, re- I absolutely do. I mean, but but the acid the te- table, the acid test is going to be against Liverpool. That's my view. Well, yes and no. I mean, look, ultimately they could lose twice to Liverpool, six nil each time, and still be among the title race. Like those are that's two games over the course of you know yeah, however sure. many they have remaining. Um, and you know who knows that could happen. They may be they may be ill suited to face Liverpool. But um, to, to use a word that's going around a lot in terms of um, of vaccines, the efficacy of Mourinho's plan, of Mourinho's dose for this Tottenham team, of what he's doing to them, is to play and be effective against Liverpool. That that's my that's my personal view, um, and it's a view that makes sense. They're the champions anyway. But I look, I very well may be proven wrong about everything I've said about Mourinho by the end of the season. I can absolutely shoulder that. But we called this last week. This that's was true. set up for Spurs. And, you know, one of the things that's that's becoming increasingly interesting about the style in which they're choosing to play is that maybe this is the right time in history for this to be happening. And by that, I mean, I'm going to read this now from uh, Gerard Brand at Sky Sports. He says, fatigue, scheduling, and an absence of fans to keep you honest will mean teams who favor solidity over attractive, free-flowing football should succeed this season. Mourinho has drilled Spurs 
to fit this type. Youngman's son was a right wing back for much of the game. Harry Kane showed the additional layers to his armor, and Pierre-Emile uh, Pierre Hoiberg was monstrous in midfield. Even Tangi and Dombele is back in the manager's good graces. Uh, like right now, we're going to talk about Liverpool in a moment, but you know, Jurgen Klopp is not happy with the scheduling. Other managers have reflected that sort of anger over the way that the season is transpiring with these games just coming fast and furious. There's no let up. These teams that have built up themselves to be pressing teams that you know we've seen that with Spurs in the past under Pochettino, how that requires energy, and you know those Pochettino Spurs teams would sometimes fade as the season progressed because of it. This season might it might just be the right time to be a team that's not going to do that. Now, Tottenham does it every once in a while, but overall, it's not really their MO. Their MO, like you said, is to sit deep, defend, and get somebody on the break. Um, maybe this is just the right time to do that. It, it conserves energy, uh, and it, this this just might be the season where you can get away playing that style and have it lead to potentially a title. Yeah. Um, I, I, I also think that Mourinho has identified the weaknesses in the team and the strengths in the team and has, has really, I mean, it's not like he's tailored. He's doing the things he's done at other clubs. This There's there's something about this team that has shades of Inter Milan from a decade ago about them um, under Mourinho. Uh, but y- you have to say, he's not going to expose his players to, to things that they can't cope with. And he's decided that that back four, particularly in the central area, it's not going to be a high line. So they're going to do what they do, and they do it well, and they're extremely well drilled. Yeah, and it'll it'll be interesting too because Alderweireld did get hurt in this game. Uh, so, like, where does he go now? I don't think it's going to be Davinson Sanchez. I, I think that we haven't seen much of him by design. I think Mourinho has gotten a good look at him and said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, not good enough for me." I think it's going to be Joe Rodon. Uh, is my guess. Well, I, I'm I'm fascinated by Rodon because, rightfully. Uh, the, again, and I, g- I give credit to those at the top at Spurs for their signing. They're signing a centre back that can actually play out from the back and is comfortable on the ball, and and, and that's just huge um, in, these days. Now, whether he's ready to step up and do the kind of defending that a Mourinho uh, player would want, has he been drilled in the system long enough? That's that's the big question, and that may be why he might plump for Sanchez over him. It's just amazing. Like I'm watching that game, and I'm just like. Like this is a different Eric Dyer, and I know he's had other moments this season where he kind of like is still shaky in that position. But you just like that was as good a performance as I've seen from him since they've decided to make him a center back. And you know, I, I'll give credit to Dyer for embracing the role. It's a role he wanted. I'll give credit to uh, to Mourinho for believing in him to do it and and not you know rotating him and playing Davinson Sanchez when Sanchez is shaky. It's um, it, w- it was impressive. It was impressive to watch that go down over the weekend. And then there's the other side of it, which is Manchester City, JJ. Yeah. Uh, Pep signed an extension uh, during the week, which is something we had been speculating on. You know, we, I was already talking like him going to Barcelona was a formality. Uh, yeah. But no, he's going to stay at Manchester City. Um, you know, which is good. Yeah. Yes. Your, you, is it? your tone, your tone is, is perfect. Um, I don't know. This, this announcement just came at a weird moment. Like usually managers get inked to extensions during periods of great success. And I'm not saying that, you know, this is like Manchester City's downfall by any means, but we're not really catching them in a moment of great success here. Um, uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious just like what you made of uh, of that announcement. Yeah, I, I, I guess City aren't ready to blow everything up yet. And really, when you look at the structures of the club, if you're going to tailor 
a club to the exact specificities of one manager, then dismantling it is going to take a lot of time. So City are kind of kicking the can down the road on this two years. We're also entering the unknown. This will be the longest spell he's had at any club, um, which is, I, I suppose, maybe if you include his his time at, in, in Barcelona's youth structures uh, and Barcelona B, maybe it's it's the same amount of time, but, but whatever. Um, you're charging him with something of a rebuild. There was a Manchester City fan who tweeted us who, uh, because I tweeted out about this and said, look, you're asking Pep to rebuild the club. You're giving them how many windows are you over the next two years to to buy players? Um, is this what you want to do? And the Manchester City fan said, well, we, we really need a striker and a left back. I mean, I don't think there's anyone looking at this team thinking that that's all that needs to be done or that's all that will be done. Now, I still think they can they can function, but I'm not so sure it's to do with bringing in new personnel. It's the personnel that are already there look kind of jaded. They're just a percentage off. Um, they're a little bit blunt. Like De Bruyne still did brilliant things against Spurs. He still sprayed the ball wide. He still created chances, but they're so blunt up front. And so susceptible to be caught out by the free, quick free kick that Spurs took, which, I mean, Spurs are becoming masters at doing that quick free quick kick from midfield. We saw that at Old Trafford as well when Sun scored again. Um, but yeah, their City are just off. And I, I think this is diminishing returns from now on. I mean, they're 13th in the league. What, what have they scored? 10 goals so far this season. Everything about Manchester City is just that few percentage off and it's trending the other way so i i don't know i mean there's plenty of city fans that were you know as much as pep has done for the club kind of looking forward to moving on from him i i think anyway yeah two thoughts on this one it's not just like it's not just this kind of vague thought like mm, something looks off with city it's not just that it's actually in the numbers uh, Gab Marcotti wrote at ESPN FC, the issue isn't just goals. They're averaging 1.25 per game, which is less than half of last season's return, 2.68. But like you just mentioned, JJ, goal scoring chances. Their expected goals is 1.22, lower than teams like West Ham and Everton. And again, nearly half of last season's when it was 2.24. So for everyone out there thinking something looks off with City, like you're right. Something yeah. is something is precipitously off with Manchester city and the announcement that pep is going to be back for two more seasons. I just, I'm not saying this is the right decision. I'm just saying I couldn't help but wonder if this was a direct message to one person in particular. Uh, to Lionel Messi. Yes. Um, but I'm at the stage where, you know, bringing in Lionel Messi next summer at the age he's going to be, will be amazing and it'll be fun, but I don't think it solves a whole lot. And don't forget that does Pep Guardiola in reinvigorating a team want to bring in a player who's not going to be vigorous in the aspects of the game that Pep needs them to be? I mean, pressing. Like I said, like, like I said, I don't know that it would be the right move, but Manchester city's ownership, you know, their obsession, with achieving something bigger in the Champions League, I just can't help if they believe this is this is a quick fix, one last gasp that we can get out of these final two years with Pep as our manager. And with him here, we have our best chance of landing this player in Messi and what it would do just for their global appeal. Right. that you, You've hit on it there. 
global appeal and also kind of what's the one thing Manchester City haven't have and can't buy? They can't buy respect and heritage, but you can buy the greatest player in the world over the past 15 years. And that kind of gives a, a kind of a reflected glory upon you. And and that's one thing Manchester City can buy. They can buy Lionel Messi and they can kind of buy a gravitas that they don't have. And, and, and you know, that will impact their global reach. That will impact sales of jerseys. That will impact... Um, other markets in a positive way for them. You've uh, you're such a you're such a bright young man. Sometimes, Andrew, you've really stumbled across something there. Thank you, JJ. Let's uh, let's continue here now. Liverpool three, Leicester City nil. Uh, you know, we're talking about the statement that Tottenham made in kind of announcing themselves in the title race. Uh, Liverpool, I think, making a similar statement. Not you know announcing themselves in the race, but announcing themselves in the way of you know injuries be damned. We don't care. We are going to play our style. We are not going to bend for anybody. We are a part of this title race, whether you want us here or not, deal with it. Um, someone took issue with the fact that I said Liverpool were in crisis last 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 podcast. I meant in crisis in terms of <laughs> they have so many key six starters injured, six bona fide starters injured. That's an injury crisis. Sorry, I didn't put injury in front of it. Uh, sorry, no, I have to be. You don't have to apologize for anything. You're, I agree 100 percent with you. Yeah, you totally have to be fair so, to say that. You have to be so literal with the tw- with the Twitterati, Andrew. But um, this was a brilliant performance, an absolutely brilliant performance. Um, <laughs> Brendan Rodgers, he didn't wave the white flag before the game, but he certainly acknowledged that whatever he did, Liverpool were going to thump them. Um, I, I can't remember, was it Dre- Jeff Shreves or whoever was interviewing him beforehand said, oh, you know, with all Liverpool's injuries, does this kind of put the the impetus on you to to go and have a little go and, and kind of challenge him a little more? And Rodgers was like, not really. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. They couldn't touch Liverpool in that first half. In fact, for the whole 90 minutes, apart from a couple of half chances, one for Vardy where Alisson saved at his feet, Liverpool were so dominant, Andrew. So utterly dominant. It reminded me of the the visit to the King Power on St. uh, St. Stephen's Day last year where Liverpool beat them, what was it, 4-0. It was just an utterly dominant performance. Blew Leicester out of the water. And, um, And who knew that this Liverpool team has such depth that Fabinho is not only one of the best centre midfielders in the league, but also one of the best centre halves in the league simultaneously. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like, <laughs> let's let that play out before we make that statement. Um, that you know what I mean. I know, I know. Uh, look, I'll say this: I don't. I'm wondering if this is too hyperbolic to, to go with. But Jurgen Klopp has done a lot of impressive things, obviously, since he got to Liverpool. He lifted them to the level where you know they took on Real Madrid in the Champions League. He kicked on from there, won it the next season. Then, you know, obviously the the incredible success that he's brought back to Liverpool in the league, ending the title drought. Um, all of those things are are you know, number one on anybody's resume. But I, I can't help but wonder if we're now in the midst of what might be his most impressive uh, performance as manager yet. I, I'm not saying he's completed anything, but I'm saying should this season go on and Liverpool continue to just play like Liverpool, uh, you know, without Van Dyke, without so many of these key players that are hurt, uh, I wonder if this could wind up actually going down as his most impressive season. Yeah, I mean, winning the Premier League last season, if you took me to the beginning of the title-winning season and I looked forward and I thought, look at all those games we have in December. Look at all those games we have to manage and the World Club 
Cup trophy tournament trip we've got to make. This is just a mammoth task. You might be right, considering the the injuries that they've incurred this season. This may be even bigger. It's just amazing to me, though, Andrew, how he can put players in and change the system, not change the system around, but change the personnel around. And these players are so finely tuned as to what's needed that they just click in and they go and they play and they're magnificent. Like how quickly has uh, Diogo Jota, you know, kind of got into the rhythm of life at Liverpool? By the way, that that goal he scored, the header, was just magnificent. Just brilliant. Yeah, it's early, but he'd probably be in anybody's team of the season right now. Anybody's I mean, like 11, uh, I think he'd be in it. Yeah, uh, you take out one of your primary creators, the primary creator in Trent Alexander-Arnold of the past two seasons, and yet on you go, no problem. You can plug in James Milner literally anywhere. James Milner is soon going to have played pretty much everywhere for the club, except probably center forward, center back, and goalkeeper. That's just like three positions he hasn't played in. This is It's a remarkable thing that Klopp has done with the team. But uh, but post-match, post-match, the focus was was kind of different as he gave Jeez. poor old Shrevesy Sky Sports and BT both barrels. He's never shy. This year in particular, I feel like, you know, Jurgen Klopp is never shy, but like, I don't know. I feel like he's he's almost used the occasion of him now being a title-winning manager to really feel comfortable speaking his mind. When, remember, he went at Roy Keane. Who goes at Roy Keane? Went after him, and now he's going after, like you said, poor Jeff Shreve. So he was asked by Sky Sports after the match why he waited until the 89th minute of the 3-0 win over Leicester to make two of his three substitutions. Here's what he said. Why we change late is because we constantly have to think that somebody will go down with an injury. We cannot change early because we change early and the other one has an injury and you end the game with nine players. It's about all the players. It's about the England players. It's about all the players who will play the European Championship next summer. If you, Sky, don't start talking to BT Sport, we're done. Uh, JJ, this is from Sky Sports here. In the 71 days since Liverpool's season started, Uh, The Reds have played 15 matches with two international breaks in that time. They have played a game in either the EFL Cup or Champions League in every midweek outside international weeks since September 20th. And those international breaks are not breaks when you're talking about a club like Liverpool because basically every single player on their team is taking part in international action. It's unbelievable. Um, Klopp went on to say, if we keep playing Wednesday and Saturday at 12.30 local time, I'm not sure you'll finish the season with 11 players. All the top six are the same, but I know you, the broadcasters, don't care, and that's the problem. People tell us we can rotate. Who? We have offensive players. The rest are kids. That's how it is. It's all okay. We fight with what we have, but if you do not start talking, you will see what happens. It's really difficult for the players. That is what's difficult. The rest is just a decision on a desk in an office. I mean, it was a, it was a tour de force. I can't help but not agree with him. But there's a there's a problem, and he pointed it out that the deal that was made, or the deal that we're still operating under, is pre-COVID. You know, there there should have been some kind of like new um, arrangement that changed the way that the payments come out. But the bottom line is, the clubs don't want to do that. They don't want to take less from the TV from TV revenue. I guarantee you John Henry and the rest of the, the Premier League owners won't have been happy that Jurgen Klinsmann said what he said at the weekend. Plop. They just yeah. want to plow they just want to plow on and and receive the same money that they, they have before. This is a Premier League issue as much as it is a broadcast uh, issue, I think. 
So what would have been the alternative? Like they're still in all these competitions. So what what do you, what is he proposing that they do instead? Well, I think one of the things that could have been done was that we drop the league cup for this season and pay some kind of solidarity payments down to the leagues, to the lower league teams in, in the football league that would have suffered from the loss of that revenue. Drop that. That would have helped. I mean, the Champions League is back this week. The Champions League is never ending. It seems like it's battering us over the head every week. I have fatigue even thinking about it. I mean, the players are literally playing three games every seven days within the seven days of a week. But it's, what it's I what I don't understand. But what I don't understand is like the format of the Champions League hasn't changed. Like the group stage, the number of games you play is still what it's been. Why does it? feel like it's more relentless this year than other years there doesn't there there just i i can't look at the calendar from previous season but there seemed there does not seem to be the breaks within the the match days that there used to be um and also you know those will then be coming we're dealing in a situation where you know football went right on through the summer into august you know, the, the break has been different. There's also the issue that the players aren't doing the same prehab. It's not just games. Their training sessions have been upset. The same amount. I'm sure the schedules for prehab and rehab have changed too. Um, I, I just think they, they needed to find, I mean, I would have somehow looked at the, the international schedule playing friendly seemed mind boggling to me. Like, the, why did that have to happen? I understand that we've we've locked into this thing with the Nations League now that impacts tournaments and qualification, but playing friendlies, like, just seemed nonsensical. There needed to be some kind of uh, of holistic approach between all the, the the stakeholders, to use that term, in football, and it never really happened. They thought, how can we just keep going with the way things were and not get into the messy business of renegotiating TV money and contracts? Well, the easiest fix that that for whatever reason they fought was the five substitutions. Um, you know that that would have been just a small measure of something that could have happened pretty easily to try to to fix this in some way where you're not forcing Jurgen Klopp to have to wait till the 89th minute to make two substitutions because he's afraid guys yeah. are going to get hurt earlier. You know that that could have been something, and I still think there's time for them to do that on the fly. Um, I don't know that that's not a cure all, but it's at least a small step that they could easily take to try and help this. Uh, a couple other things from over the weekend, JJ. Uh, it, it's funny with Arsenal. You know, I wanted to talk about them because it just felt like momentum was it was headed in the right direction with their early season successes and, and having one coming off a season with the FA Cup and you know uh, Aubameyang re-upping. Um, and it just I don't know. It just felt like things were headed in the right direction for them. And I can't help but but now look at them and say that all that momentum is gone. One win in their last five games. That's one thing. But one goal across those games, that is that is another. And that is not what we thought Arsenal were going to be. And that goal was at Old Trafford um, against I Manchester. Four, I think it's been 475 minutes between open play goals for them. Ironically, I think it was Nicolas Pepe who scored the last one. I think I think we're, what we're experiencing is, is the real growing pains of what Arteta is trying to do. So they're definitely more resolute. They're definitely more uh, together and better defensively. Certainly they were against Leeds. They didn't allow Leeds to overpower them. Although Leeds, Leeds hit, I don't know how many times Leeds hit the post or the crossbar in that game. Arsenal did have their own chances on the break, but largely they were trying to defend deep and and, and be compact. Um, and so Arteta's looked at the team and he's thought, what's what's the thing I need to address first? And it's be defensive, be, be harder to beat. 
but it feels as if that's been at the expense of what's going on up front. And just through the midfield, Andrew, and the attack, they they just don't seem like they've got it together. And I think I think maybe this is just the growing pains of of Arteta addressing the issues, the long-standing issues at the club. And it's defense first. And um there's also Michael Calley tweeted out statistics about Obama Yang and his XG. And basically to save anybody any hassle of, of reading the tweet because it's in very much it's in in stats bod uh, numbers. Um that you know there's been a, a drop in his expected goals, whether he plays centrally or out wide, which I suppose a guy going into his 30s, you could expect something. Um, but generally, that attack just seems to be under construction, shall I put it that way. And Arsenal are suffering for that right now. Yeah, and I mentioned Nicolas Pepe. His signing has turned into a, a disaster. It's easy to forget. It's He's the fifth most expensive signing in Premier League history. I mean, that is not like they, they need to be getting better returns out of him than what they are. He's got just two starts this season. Obviously, the most recent one start, ended with him being red carded after 51 minutes. I just wonder, how do you handle this guy? Like he's not, I feel like we have kind of a view of him that he's a young player. He's not that young. I think he's 25. He's yeah. right in the thick of his of what should be his prime. Um, I wonder if at some point Arsenal and Mikel Arteta, if they're going to ever try to get the most out of him, if they're going to just have to say, you know what, we have to just deal with the growing pains and we've got to play him and hope that eventually his confidence will return and and we'll get something out of all this money that we poured into him. Because right now it's looking like a, a total disaster of a signing. Yeah, I mean, you only see flashes from him of the ability he has. He scored a goal against Dundalk in the Europa League, Andrew, where he literally just on the edge of the box, stood on the ball, rolled it out of his feet and whipped it into the top corner. And you think, man, they've got to get more out of this guy. But it's been a disastrous signing. And you wonder at some point, do Arsenal do Arsenal think, well, how, how do we get the best out of this guy? Or, or is that even going to happen? And, you know, the interesting thing is there is I've always said about him that there is a player in there. He seems raw still in some ways, which, again, at 25, you would like to see him start to mature and lose some of that rawness. But like there is a player in there since he joined them. uh, I believe he's the club leader in chances created. Now, Arsenal in that time haven't created a ton of chances because I think Mesut Ozil is actually second on that list, which is telling. But still, like. That that has to tell you something that he isn't a total waste, but until they give him, you know, I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg kind of thing. Like, does Arsenal need to just blindly give him more opportunities to play so he can show them that he's good? Or can he not play until he shows them in limited action or in training that he's worth putting out there? I don't know how it's it's a tough spot for Arteta in terms of how he has to approach this. But I, I think at some point they've got to give him a, a run of games to see for once and for all if he can be counted on. Can't see that happening now because Arteta was so forthright in 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 his comments afterwards. He was raging. He you could tell he was livid with what what he did. And uh, what did he say? Kept it, was, saying, it was unacceptable. I kept saying it was unacceptable, but in, in in a way that suggested he had just absolutely chewed Nicholas Pepe out in the locker room beforehand. Yeah. Two other quick ones here, JJ. Some people were asking us about this. Wanted to mention it. Uh, the Premier League says they're going to be allowing fans back into stadiums when the lockdown ends. Uh, reading here from BBC, a maximum of 4,000 fans will be allowed at outdoor events in the lowest risk areas when the four-week lockdown in England ends on uh, December 2nd. The news of which areas will be in which tiers is expected to be made public later this week on Thursday. Um, so it's not known just yet, you know, like all the London clubs, whether or not they will fall into the the low risk um, 
so we'll have to wait and see. No, it's 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 going to be tiered. Um, I, and also, the, the England is our the United Kingdom is just re- coming out of lockdown or expects to come out of lockdown in the next few days. So you know, we're not sure quite what the plan is. It will be on a tiered basis. So some some areas will not see many fans in the stands, and others will see more. Uh, I've already seen complaints from Gary Neville about how that's not fair. But I mean, what are you supposed to do? Um, fair, fair went out the window back in March. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, this is a different. This is just like we're trying to get through. Teams are going to try to make money any way they can. Like I don't, I don't know that that a lot of people have been saying that here in American sports too. Oh, it's not fair that this club can and this club. Uh, like that kind of just goes through one ear and out the other for me. Yeah, that, we're in a. We're in a pandemic, Gary. You know, I think the the, the things have changed. You know, our regular schedules are are the things we normally do have changed dramatically, and it's going to come to the reopening of Stadia too. Um, yeah, I, I, my major worry about it is prior to a vaccine, Andrew. Is you're gonna? It's not just what happens in the stadium. The gatherings of people from different households pre-match. I mean, that can't be regulated. People are going to do things now or try and get back into a match day schedule that that probably won't be good for the spread of coronavirus. But there's a there's a vaccine on a way. There's a confidence in the Premier League that they can administer and, and the rules properly within their ground. So I guess we just see how it plays out. Uh, last but not least here in the Premier League, JJ, Manchester United. Now, uh, really all I have to say about them, it's really the main thing to talk about with them, the penalty taking for Manchester United. Um, they take an awful lot, don't they? They've taken seven already this season. They took 22 last season. And like this, I, I swear to you, this is not going to devolve into any kind of whining. Oh, but they get all the penalties. Why do they get all the penalties? Uh, if you go back and look at them, what's interesting about it is the vast majority of the penalties that Manchester United earn are not really contentious. And only a couple have been via handball, which all of those are contentious. Most of them are earned, deserved penalties. So it just leaves you wondering, okay, well, if that's the case, is this a coincidence or do they specifically play a style that is conducive to winning penalties? And I kind of think it's that. Quick movement, quick passing within the box. And I think it's what earned them these penalties. Now, the problem is, okay, it's conducive to winning penalties, but is this style conducive to winning games? And that I don't know that we have a clear answer on yet, or maybe we do, and the answer might be no. I I I would question that. I think they'd be in a much higher position in the league table, playing much better football if there was quick, sharp, zap, snippy passing around the box. But they are capable of it. They certainly that front three can do it. Um, I mean, Connor Gallagher could have had a penalty for West Brom in this game, didn't happen. Equally, Anthony Martial could have had one, and then we had the classic handball, which. You know, if I'm using common sense, I'm not. I'm actually not giving that as a penalty. IFAB had a, a comment during the week. Actually, they came out with a statement: "Hey, guys, it's the referee. Ca- it's still up to the referee's interpretation. We've written this rule, but it's still up to him. It's basically true. basically pushing it all back on the referee. So if that's the case, I'm not giving that penalty at the weekend to United. Um, but that's 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 a side issue. Let's talk about the fact that uh, Bruno Fernandez still does that little skip." And uh, I know the penalty was saved, but Johnson, uh, the goalkeeper, was off his line, so it was retaken and he scored. But I will never enjoy that little jump before the penalty, Andrew. I don't care who's doing it. No, I don't. I can't imagine that that is helpful. Um, but he's look, he's very good at them, generally speaking. 
Um, I, I saw JJ Mark Critchley wrote this in the Independent about United and their style and winning penalties. He said, "But whatever United's penalty winning secret is, it does not make for a functioning attack on its own. And the problem is that they are in danger of becoming dependent." Since the start of last season, 13 of United's 79 Premier League goals have come from the spot. That may not sound like much, but it's the highest proportion of any top flight team to have played across both campaigns. Oof. It's like, I mean, can, is this a thing that you can rely on? Okay, guys, we'll go out there. Let's win a penalty in the first half. We'll see if we can buckle down and defend in the second. Like, Can this actually be part of the strategy? I, I, I think you can rely on it. Wasn't it? Oh, way back, 2005 or 2004. Remember Andy Johnson? the the cue ball headed striker for yeah. Crystal Palace and he scored what was it 17 or 18 in a season which prompted Everton to buy him and I think half of them were penalties he relied on it May, it probably made him a lot of money it did move to Everton Whew. yeah this is why this is that is why analytics departments emerged there had to have been somebody who finally said, you know, we should not be handing out massive contracts to guys who are pouring half their goals in via the spot. Like that's mm. not their value isn't it can't be the same as guys who are scoring consistently from open play. But just a thought. Just a thought. Um, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. When we come back, JJ, Doug McIntyre of Yahoo Sports. This past weekend, like we said, in MLS was it was insane. There's a lot of things to get to with Doug that we want to talk about. Uh, we'll do that next. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now, caught offside. JJ, I'm excited for this portion of the show here because we talked uh, at the start about the the chaos of this weekend in MLS, the number of times that like you were afraid you're going to wake up family members by just suddenly shouting. Um, and Doug McIntyre of Yahoo Sports is on with us now to talk a little about all of that. Doug, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well, Andrew. How are you guys doing? We're good. Uh, I wanted to start with uh, the, the NYCFC Orlando City uh, finish. It was 25 minutes of pure chaos, but in the end, I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, did we, I, I, I believe we got the right result. I think everything played out the way it was kind of supposed to, it just maybe not on the timeline that everybody wanted. Are, are you comfortable, I guess, with the way, uh, that game played out? No, of course I'm not comfortable with the way it played out. I thought it was a, I thought it was a farce actually. I really, I really do. Um, embarrassing. I mean, exciting, full of drama. I, I, you know, I get that part of it. If you're a neutral, um, the way it went down was just incredible. I mean, everyone that I've, you know, seen comments on it, folks that have been around the sport for decades in a lot of cases have never, had never seen anything like that where, you know, you have a goalkeeper sent off for Orlando thinks they've won. Uh, goes to VAR, the keeper's off his line, and he's sent off, and a field player has to come in and take a spot. I mean, just, just ridiculous. But I agree that you know it would have been, it would have been terrible if Orlando had lost that game. So you know, just result in the end, they deserve to go through. They were the better team. Um, I really like what Oscar Perez has done with with that squad. The fans in Orlando have been great from the start. I was at their first game. Back in 2015, um, also against New York City FC, uh, they came in the same the same year. Those two expansion teams, sixty thousand people in the Citrus Bowl that day, and all of them were wearing purple. So, you know, different experience now. Although there were some fans in in the in their nice their nice little stadium they have down there, and they got to to celebrate the first uh, playoff win and the first playoff appearance for that club. So. Uh, you know, for all the the craziness that led up to it, in the end, I was happy to see Orlando go through. 
It definitely would have been one of those atmospheres had that place been full that I'm so curious how angry it would have gotten in there, just how crazy it would have been given everything that was happening. But I'm curious, though. So with how this played out, you know, we always like to point the finger of blame somewhere. Is this on the way it was officiated? Is this on VAR? Is this on just like a series of kind of unfortunate moments that that inevitably led to this kind of chaos? Who do you view and say, "Uh uh-uh, do better next time? You know, I I think the biggest thing, Andrew, is that, you know, and you see this is not limited to MLS. So I'm going to dunk on MLS a little bit here. But, I mean, we we can talk about the way VAR has been handled in the Premier League all day. And, and, you know, frankly, MLS has done a better job with with the video reviews than the Premier League has, to to my mind. I mean, talk about a farce. Some of the the decisions we've seen in in the Premier League, um, you know, over the course of this season, you know, the offside calls come, come to mind are just ridiculous and they defy common sense. And I think that's the big, the big takeaway for me. If you look at now, now the professional referees organization, the the group that oversees the the referees in the United States and in MLS, you know, came out with an explanation that MLS is still operating, operating under last year's rules because the season started when it did. And uh, you know, obviously a different calendar and the European teams and European leagues are, are, uh, you know, they're operating under the, the 2020, uh, 2021 rules and MLS is still under the old version from from last year. So, uh, you know, they they claim that, uh, you know, by the letter of the law that, you know, sending off the keeper in that situation was the right thing to do. But it defies common sense. And I really think that, you know, th- that's the thing when you look at referees, um, particularly in, in the United States and in MLS. I mean, like we know, the game is not as developed here as it is. Uh, in Europe, in South America, just culturally, that's that's normal. That's no secret. Um, you know, and, and the saying I've heard a lot is the referees know the rules, but they don't know the game. And I think having that, you know, the, the ability to make the right decision in the right moment, use a little bit of common sense. I mean, I don't think that anyone thought that the keeper should have been sent off in that situation. Uh, you know, sh- give give the guy a warning. Um, you know, you can argue whether the, the yellow card should even count anyway. A yellow card in a shootout, you know, is that does that count as a, a second yellow card uh, when there was one in the match earlier. So just uh, I would like to see a bit more common sense in refereeing across the board with the use of VAR, not just in MLS, in leagues around the world. Let's let's let that be the the, the driving force. The idea was to overturn, uh, you know, egregiously wrong calls and get them right. And, and instead, we're creating controversy, which is, you know, what nobody nobody wants. It was kind of interesting, though, Doug, and I'm curious where you fall on this. There were some people who appeared to be reveling in what happened, meaning, you know, I, I, I think I, I actually can't remember who it was, but it is, it's an ex-US player said, oh, this is why we love the league, the drama. And on the other hand, you saw that, you know, that the hardcore MLS fans kind of with their heads in their hands saying this is going to go viral across Europe and we're going to look like such fools. And um, which, which side of it do you fall on? Well, I, there's definitely a fatalism uh, among U.S. fans and an inferiority complex in a lot of cases where it's like you're, they're worried about how it's going to look. I don't care about that at all. Um, and I agree with the with the you know, if you're a neutral again, the drama of it, I you know, I can appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just it's it's I, I, I'm not really on either side, to be honest, not to sit on the fence. I mean, I, I didn't find it embarrassing. Um, I, I did. You know, I, I, I not for myself. i I. I thought it was an embarrassing situation, but I didn't think, you know, it necessarily reflected poorly on, on MLS or to say that MLS is, 
you know, unprofessional in any way. Again, there, we've seen these sorts of incidents happen all over the world. So, um, you know, I didn't love what I saw, but I, I didn't hate it either. I just thought it was, I thought it was unnecessary. And look, we have a tendency to take ourselves a little bit too seriously. Sometimes it's sports. It's supposed to be fun. You know, this year should have taught everyone to have a bit of perspective and, uh, you know, it, it's, I, th- I think it's something that we can laugh about. But again, part of the reason we can laugh about it is because the team that deserved to go through in the end did. And if it had, go- had gone the other way, I think you would have seen even more hand-wringing, and rightfully so. Doug, um, the loss for Portland. I mean, this was a team coming in. I-, I know I personally had somewhat high hopes for. I thought that there was a chance for them to kind of pull off a double this year with the MLS's back tournament. Um, them having won that earlier. What a horrifying loss to give up the goal as late as they did, which kind of became their hallmark this season. Yeah. Then Valeri, the last kick of the ball. I mean, it's like moving in slow motion. He hits the post. Then penalty shootout uh, for Viafania to get the miss after he had scored for them. Yeah. Ultimately, what's what was the undoing for them? I, I mentioned their their pension to give up late goals. Is it lapses in concentration? Was it the injuries catching up with them? What What was it that caused this to happen? Probably a combination of of, of, of all those things, Andrew. Um, I, I think you should give some credit to FC Dallas. I mean that that's the way I look at it. They they you know could have very easily gone quietly, and they didn't. They stayed in there until the end. And yes, it was some poor defending by Portland on on uh, Pepe's goal for Dallas. Um, you know, but it's uh, it's one of those things where you know. <laughs> it's a one-off game and anything can happen. And MLS has changed its format the last couple of years. These used to be, uh, well, not the play-in games, obviously. And this, this year's format's different anyway, because they've, they've added teams to it. Um, but, you know, there, there's no margin for error in a one-off game. If it's over two legs, then, you know, that's a different story. So, uh, you know, a- again, Portland looked like they had that game. I mean, the late drama in, in a lot of these games is fanta- fantastic. You look at the Sporting Kansas City game against, uh, against San Jose, you know, the, the Sporting thought they had that game won, and then you know, for some reason, there's there's a few added minutes of extra time beyond, or stoppage time rather, beyond what what the referee had on the board or the assistant referee had on the board, and and Chris Wondolowski scores and ties it, and then you know, again, it goes to penalties and and Kansas City wins. So the late drama has been incredible, um, and you know, Portland for as good as they've been this year, I think they've been the best team in MLS this season, um, and I, w- I would have been nice to see them go farther, but. Uh, but FC Dallas is a good team too. And and they're a team that has a lot to prove, I think, after not being able to participate in the MLS's is back tournament because of the COVID outbreak within their team. So, you know, I think you saw some of that resilience pay off for them at the end. And again, I give them credit for being able to to stick with it and get that late goal because it sure looked like uh like Portland was gonna go through uh as the final minutes uh ticked away there. Uh Tog, I might as well ask you because you mentioned San Jose. Does Mateus Almeida stay on? Should he be kept on? Have you seen enough progress in this side to suggest that they're moving in the right direction? They, they're, they've had such an interesting year as well, JJ. I mean, you know, very inconsistent. I mean, they looked like a fantastic team at times. Uh, I was impressed with them in the MLS's back tournament, and then they go on that that run where they they don't they don't win for a long time. Uh, you know, Almeida's he's got a very particular style, that man marking style that when it yeah. when it works, it looks great. And then there are other times, I mean, a, a goal that Jordan Morris scored against uh, against San Jose comes to mind where he basically ran unmolested from right through the middle of the field and went in and scored. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a high-risk, high-reward um, 
you know, system that Almeida plays. I'm not sure he comes back. I, I, I'm really not. I was actually quite surprised he came back this season. Uh, you know, he, he seemed frustrated at times his first year in the league. This is a guy that is going to have options, certainly in Mexico, given his track record there. Uh, I'm sure in his native Argentina as well. So two years in the league for him now. Obviously, this season, you know, very difficult. And it wouldn't surprise me if he packed in. I'm not sure what his contract situation is off the top of my head. Um, but it certainly wouldn't shock me if, if there was a, a change there. But if there is it, I, if there is, I think it would come from Almeida himself. I, I really believe that he'll, he'll be the one that decides uh, to a large degree whether he stays or goes in San Jose. Doug, while we're talking about San Jose and guys who may be staying or leaving, uh, Chris Wondolowski, first off, I just want to say I was so happy for him that he did get that goal deep in yeah. stoppage time. Uh, just because, like, think of had that not happened – you know, the final real image of his career, should this be the end of his career? And I'm, I'm going to ask you about that in a sec. But, you know, his his miss from point blank range just moments before in like the 87th or 88th minute. And you could already hear, you know, the script being written by bitter U.S. fans saying, oh, how fitting it is with what, you know, his miss against Belgium. So I, I was at least happy that he capped it off in the 97th minute with the equalizer. Um, should that be the final image of his career. It was a nice one for him to have and a deserving one for him to have. And I'm curious, what does your gut tell you uh, as far as his future? Do you think he'll be back? He seems like he's been kind of coy on it. He he has been. And I, I spoke to him during the MLS's back tournament. He, he had said that the plan was for him to, for this to be his final year. Um, but that that's, he was sort of reconsidering because of everything that had happened this year. I do believe that he is, he's gone on record saying he is coming back for next season. Guys, so so that's great news. Um, you know, Wando's a great guy. He's an amazing story. I mean, as a journalist, you look at you, you root for stories, and there's none better than a guy that was you know that came out of a, a you know a, a lower a lower uh, league in in college. Um, you know, was a reserve for a number of years. Was making you know eleven thousand dollars a year and trying to scrape by in Houston, and ends up going back to to San Jose and becomes a, a starter, becomes a captain, becomes a, a, a goal scorer, and now the leading scorer in MLS history. I mean, that you, you can't you can't make that up. So uh, great to see him back. He's a great character in the league. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was funny watching that game and, and again, watching the, the seconds tick down and, and Wando gets that chance. And I think it was saved, actually. I mean, I think it yeah. was saved off the post. So it wasn't like he, he you know, he missed it and – you know, I'm sitting there with with uh, my son. He's nine, and I said, "Watch this. Watch Wondolowski. He's going to get another chance here. He's going to get a chance right at the end." And sure enough, and again, I was looking at that clock. There were three minutes on the board, right? And we were, or four minutes on the board, and we were up to like the seventh minute of stoppage time. I'm not sure how that happened. I'm sure Peter Vermees, if if Sporting Kansas City had lost that game, would have absolutely lost his mind at the end. But it turned out that they won in the shootout, and and you know the point was moot. Um, but it was just fascinating to watch as that happened. And you watch Wondolowski and you watch how he backs off and he finds some space and here comes the cross. And sure enough, I mean, you could set your watch by it. Wando, you know, he doesn't let the miss that had just happened or the, or the save that had happened just moments before affect him. And he's there to put it in. And, and it was, it was fitting. And I, I couldn't help be happy for him in that moment, even though, again, I thought Kansas city had the game one at that point. Um, and it's certainly great news that he's going to be back in the league for for another year. He's uh, he's a, a special character and a and a uniquely MLS player. I mean, it, it's uh, you know, and, and again, what a great story! What a great story his uh, his career has been. 
Unfortunately, Doug, um, yesterday we had not such a great story um, covered by the Athletics Pablo Moore with um, with an article where he spoke to a former intern at NYCFC uh, that detailed, I mean, it was pretty much targeted harassment, allegedly, of that intern, uh, Skylar Badia, by David Villa and some other members of the NYCFC backroom staff. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've read it. Uh, I have a broader question on this about NYCFC. A lot of their supporters have kind of been in touch with us to talk about this issue. And there's there's kind of frustration that NYCFC haven't come out and, and made a statement over the last, since the story broke or, or really got on, on top of this. And yeah. you look over the last couple of seasons, we had, again, another article in The Athletic about, you know, uh, far right element in their support in the stands that the that article came out at the end of 2018 and now you see this is there something culturally at 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 a at, at miss at NYCFC you know i'm not sure jj that you know i i know enough about the inner workings of that club to to say that i certainly think that that is the perception from the outside that that's a fair perception to have the the one thing that i think makes it challenging for them is you know their ownership group is not local. They're not on the ground. They're not. They're not there every day, and I do think that makes you know that th- that impacts the culture of a club. Like there's, you know, there's stuff that will that will slide in an environment like that. Whereas you know, if you have a more hands-on ownership group that are around and they're they're interested, they're talking, you know, to to the to the staff that you know maybe that doesn't happen. So, uh, you know. I, I was actually surprised, and and I, I think unfortunately this is a commentary on, uh, you know how how sports organizations and organizations at large deal with these sorts of, of of accusations. Where New York City actually, basically before before Pablo's story came out, and and a great job by him uh, on it, um, they they came out and basically acknowledged that uh, that 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 some of this stuff that. that had actually taken place and they, they released a statement to Jeff, Jeff Carlisle, my, my former colleague, your colleague at ESPN. And, and uh, you know, that, that normally doesn't happen. So, you know, but, but even then, I mean, reading through the details, some of, some of the things that, that Skylar said happened to her, it's, it's heartbreaking. It shouldn't happen. It's ridiculous. It's something that happens, you know, way too often. It should never happen, but it does happen. And it has happened in sports, and and you know the impetus for her to speak out. I mean, you know, she she wrote something on Twitter over the summer that blew up and was the catalyst for all this. Was in response to a Washington Post story about some of the shenanigans that had been go- going on with with the the NFL team in Washington over the years, where you know women that work for the team, cheerleaders that work for the team, were just treated horribly by 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 men at, at all levels of that organization, and and it's and it's appalling, and it's. Uh, it's important that that story got told. I think we need to hear these things. It's very difficult for women to come forward. We know that the upside for them is is not a lot, you know, if at all, to to put themselves out there. They're they're subjecting themselves to further abuse almost always in those cases. But it's important that that we hear these stories and you know that they're brought to light so we can make sure that they that they don't happen again. And I would I would have to think, you know, for our, however. New York City handled this and and they didn't do a good job. One of the individuals still employed uh, that was named in that story um still employed by the club. So we'll see what happens with that, but you know, they that club and all clubs in MLS and across sports and all organizations everywhere need to make sure they're doing everything they can to make to make certain that 
these sorts of incidents can't happen. It's 2020. It's unacceptable. And it, it's really, you know, incumbent on all of us to make sure that, you know, if, if any of us see anything like that, that it's nipped in the butt immediately, whether it's, you know, a World Cup winner in David Villa, the perpetrator or whoever, it's uh, it needs to stop. Yeah, Absolutely. And we, we- we should note before we leave it that David Villa uh, denies all allegations and uh, has put a statement out stating that. So just in the interest of uh, of giving his side. Yeah. Um, Doug, before we close out, I know there's a couple games still to go tonight uh, in the first round of the MLS playoffs, but uh, any team in particular that you're feeling best about moving forward? Uh, I'm, I, I think now with Portland out, I'm a, I'm a huge Philly uh, Union fan, big fan of Jim Curtin, the, the coach of the year. For me, they're the team to beat. I had them picked as the the, the, the team to win the, uh, the the MLS's back tournament. That didn't happen, um, but they're uh, they're they're a top team, guys, and I I, I want to see them go as far as they can. I'm curious about Toronto FC uh, as well. I mean, they're you know they're an excellent team as well, and the, some of the challenges that they've had to deal with this season, like the the other two Canadian MLS teams, you know, basically the final two months, three months of the year living out of suitcases had to be based in the U S um, because of, of, yeah. of travel restrictions, restrictions back to Canada. So, you know, mentally for Toronto FC to, to, you know, I mean, they know they get to go home to their families if they lose. Um, but I'm sure they want to win. I know they want to win. I'm sure Greg Vanny has them in the right mindset. Um, so to see them, if we could see them go on a, on a run, I think that would be uh, extra special given, given what they're up against. And uh, and of course, the you know, the big one that I think we're all looking forward to tonight, Seattle, LAFC. We remember what happened last year when Seattle, you know, was able to go on and, and go on a run and win MLS Cup after knocking off uh, LAFC. So I'm sure there's uh, some revenge on the mind of Bob Bradley's squad tonight. So uh, that, uh, you know, we, we get two two early games. We got Toronto at six against Nashville, Philly at, at eight against New England. And then the uh, the, the capper that we're saving the best for last for me with uh with those two massive clubs, Seattle and, and LAFC, uh, uh, duking it out, and only one of them gets to advance. So it, I'm, I'm sure I don't know if we'll match the drama we've seen so far, gentlemen. But uh, you know, if we come anywhere close, uh, those are going to be really, really intriguing contests. Yeah, crazy to think either Seattle or LAFC are going to be out this early in the in the tournament. Unbelievable, Doug. Uh, it's been fun so far, and we're barely in it. I'm sure it'll be fun moving forward. We look forward to talking with you again. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks so much, man. You too, gentlemen. Anytime. Andrew, I've got a tweet for you. It's it's going to sustain you through the winter weather. It's meaty. It's juicy. It's, you think this tweet will sustain me through the winter? It's like a thick broth, like a wonderful soup. Um, Evan Ream tweeted this out uh, immediately after the Sporting Kansas City-San Jose game. That was just the second time that an MLS team has failed to put a single penalty in the back of the net in a shootout. The first in 2010. The fire loss to the Charleston Battery, 3-0 in the Open Cup. Andrew, who was the goalkeeper in that game for Charleston? It was only Tim Melia. No. Yes. So the only two times that MLS teams have failed to score in a shootout, Melia was on the other team. He's like the MLS answer to Tim Krul. Yeah, we had had a message from, from a listener who said... Uh, the U.S. should just include him in every tournament squad just to save penalties. Amazing. In case he needs to be called on after extra time. By the way, it, it is worth mentioning that to like 
not that you're doing this, but I don't even want to paint him in any way, shape, or form and label him as like, oh, he's a great penalty stopper. Like he's a great goalkeeper, period. Yeah. His save, yeah. I mean, I know they gave up three in the game, but like his save on Wando that we were just talking about um, with Doug from point blank range in that moment, it was it was an amazing moment uh, for Sporting Kansas City and for him. Uh, he's he's a tremendous player and he'll keep them in this thing uh, as as long as they continue to progress. Yeah, for sure. I think he's. we're going to file him under overlooked goalkeepers. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, by the way, uh, I saw we had been talking, the union play tonight, depending on when you're listening to this, but Andre Blake apparently is ready to return. Not something really? I expected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's big. That's a yeah, huge thing. Huge. huge. You, hope they're, you hope they're not rushing him back. That would not be good. Well, I guess we'll find out. Uh, all right. Let's... Uh, no mailbag today. No mailbag today. No mailbag. I got. I got to be honest with you, Andrew. the The mailbag has been unbelievable these last few months. There's no question how much the listeners have stepped up. But I it sent was a butt coming. It was a poor mailbag this week. The offerings were not interesting. They were. They all related to stuff we were going to talk about anyway. And so I, I admonish our listeners. I, I'm disappointed, guys. We need a better mailbag next week. How dare I? Yeah. Yes. How dare you? First of all, they don't know what we're going to be talking about on the show. And I think it's good that they want to ask questions about the most prevalent issues. If you were, honestly, if you were responsible, then you would take those submissions and insert them into the points of the podcast where we're talking about those things. I mean, I could, but I just just didn't. Fair enough. Uh, All right. Well, let's do this now. Red card. I'm going to go first, JJ, because we're just talking about penalties, uh, bad penalties, good penalties. Um, I want to take this now to Fulham. Ah, uh, are people aware of what's going on there from the, from the penalty spot? They've missed five of their last eight penalties dating back to last season, including three already this season. And let's look at those misses. So you had Alexander Mitrovic who missed in a one, one draw with Sheffield United earlier this season. You had Adam Lookman. I, I can't believe we didn't talk about this after it happened. And the horrifying Panenka, miss late in a one nil defeat to West Ham. I can't imagine a thing that a manager would sit a player down permanently for more than a late Panenka attempt that gets caught. Uh, And then this past weekend, uh, Ivan Cavallero slipped and fell in, I feel bad putting it this way, but what was really a comical miss in a three, two loss to Everton. You'll notice JJ that all those games could have had the results altered by those penalties being converted. Now, I know it's unfair to do this because you don't know how things might have changed had the scoreline been different, but let's let's just have some fun for a second here and let's pretend all those penalties had gone in and it changes the results to one win and two draws. That would have Fulham on nine points, four clear of the relegation zone where they currently sit on just four points. And when you're the, in the kind of fight that Fulham presumably are going to be in for the season, you cannot afford to waste opportunities when they are being gifted to you. And that is exactly what they are doing right now. And you just, you know, that they're America's team, JJ. And I just, I, I hurt for them. And I hope that this doesn't come back. And at the end of the season, we look and say, all oh, these penalty misses, how things could have been different. America's team. Ugh. Tim Ream, JJ. Oh, is that the reason? And others. Yes, people who've Many gone on, people who's got who've gone on vacation or business to London, walked by the stadium, bought the jersey, and now they're Fulham fans. Okay, America. It's, it's America's McBride, Dempsey, Bacanegra. I mean, must I go on? 
<laughs> yeah, it's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. You you hope that the dashing presence that is uh, Captain Scott Parker on the sideline can inspire them to take proper penalties. What's the worst penalty you've ever seen? Can you think of one? The worst penalty I've ever seen? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'll buy That's you a minute that. here. I, I, my mind always goes to Jason Punchin's miss. Oh, pu- but but at least Punchin hit it with conviction. It was so high and so wide. <laughs> Out of the stadium. <laughs> oh, I've got it. I've got it. Oh, this is the worst one. So it's Wembley. I think it's 1991 or 92. Gary Lineker. England are playing Brazil, no less. Right? And Gary Lineker has equal Bobby Charlton's goal-scoring record. Equaled it. This is the goal to put him ahead to be the all-time leading English goal scorer in international football. And he penenkes it straight to the Brazilian keeper. And guess what? As far as I understand, he never scored again. He retired level with Bobby Charlton. Someone looked that up. Maybe I'm wrong. This is all off the top of my head. But he missed his chance to at least until Wayne Rooney comes along. Decades later, he wrecked his chance to be the leading goal scorer of all time for England. The other one that I always think of, JJ, is the, uh, who was it, uh, Zaza's penalty attempt. Oh, where he does the, 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 the kind of, what, how would you describe that? The pointed toe ballet approach. Maybe we'll post some of these on, on Twitter later. Oh yeah. We absolutely have to do that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, what's your red card? My red card, um, a brilliant Zlatan Ibrahimovic brace helped out, uh, AC Milan and put them top of Serie A at the weekend and earned them a first win in Naples, Andrew, in over a decade. Ibrahimovic, who has 10 goals in six games at Milan so far this season, scored two brilliant efforts. First, a header, runs across Kubelai, glances at home from about 16 yards, which makes it hugely impressive. Uh, the second was an improvised thigh kick to convert Repage's cross, which was at an awkward height. But um, where's the red card element, I hear you quite? Well, Zlatan left the field with about 10 minutes to go and was then seen with an ice pack on his leg. Now, it may turn out not to be serious. They're thinking it's going to be three weeks, which in in this season equals six games. But at 39, on a seemingly renewed Milan, we do not want to see Zlatan sidelined. Um, An interesting season has taken place in Serie A after eight games. Uh, The league table looks like this, Andrew. We've got AC Milan top by two points, eight games played, and second place, Sassuolo. Mm. who are this year's Atalanta, at least in the early goings, and they're on 18 points. Roma, 17 points in third, and Juventus, four points off in fourth place. Inter Milan on 15 and fifth, and Napoli make up the top six on 14 points, although Atalanta have 14 points too. So very interesting. Hope Zlatan gets fit. Also, Zlatan was angry. Maybe this is frustration at his injury, but... He tweeted this out. Who gave FIFA EA Sport permission to use my name and face? FIFA Pro? I'm not aware to be a member of FIFA Pro. And if I am, I was put there without any real knowledge through some weird maneuver. And for sure, I never allowed FIFA.com or FIFA Pro to make money using me. Somebody is making profit on my name and face without any agreement all these years. Time to investigate. Oh, he's on the case. I, it's like I always remember in uh, MVP baseball on EA Sports, um, there was no Barry Bonds in the game. I guess he didn't he didn't give his license uh, to be used. So he was re- he was replaced by a man with equally um, 
impressive statistics by the name of John Dowd was who they went with instead of Barry Bonds. <laughs> so you just like you played as the Giants. So like, who's my, my cleanup hitter? Why is he like like a four hundred hitter named John Dowd? How have I never heard of him? And it's like, oh, that's just the Bonds replacement. Oh, they didn't go. They didn't go the route that Pro Evolution Soccer was the main rival to FIFA for years, but they never had the naming rights. So the clubs would be Manchester Reds or Manchester Devils, you know, or Anfield FC instead of Liverpool because they they couldn't get the naming rights. Um, so Barry Bonds would have been in their naming system. It would have it would have been something like Larry Pons. Yeah, that's exactly. What, that's what they used to do. They had a when when they couldn't get David Beckham's name in rice, he was called something like Devoid Bacum. <laughs> Devoid. <laughs> uh let's see now. My man of the match, JJ. Let's talk about what's going on in Madrid for a moment, but not with Real Madrid. I'm talking about Atletico Madrid. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but uh Atleti defeated Barcelona for the first time in over a decade this past weekend. It was Diego Simeone's first win against them. After all these years, his first. Uh, Yannick Carrasco scored in first half stoppage time. That was all they needed. And and here's really why they are my um, my man of the match for the week. I don't know how many people outside of Spain are aware of this or uh, outside of being Atletico Madrid fans are aware of this, but that is now 24 matches in La Liga unbeaten for Atletico Madrid. Uh, second in the table right now, despite being one of only four clubs that have played just eight games. Everyone else has played nine or 10, including league leading Real Sociedad, who have played 10 and lead Atletico by just three points. You know this one had to feel good for them, considering the ugliness between Atletico Madrid and Barcelona with the Griezmann transfer saga, the Luis Suarez move, although Suarez did not play in this because of uh, he's on the COVID-19 restriction list right now. Um, uh, Graham Hunter wrote about it, wrote about this beforehand, basically saying if Diego Simeone, Simeone can't beat Barca now, then when? Uh, in the end, Graham was right. This was Simeone's moment, and you wonder if it's only beginning of what could be a very special season in the Spanish capital. Because, J.J., we've talked about this moment of transition that Barcelona and Real Madrid both appear to be in. And meanwhile, it, it does not appear to be any sort of moment of transition for Atletico Madrid. They are still the same old Atletico Madrid that we know them to be. Uh, with some of these players, like Jao Felix is now emerging into an all-out star, if he wasn't before. Um, so they are... They are potentially a force to be reckoned with in that league. And uh, by the way, this could be another league winning season for them. By the way, Andrew, friend of the pod, Graham Hunter, I read his article after the game, after uh, Atleti's win, and he's pouring on the pressure. He's basically saying if Atleti don't take the La Liga title this season with the weakened state of Real Madrid and Barcelona, that they will regret it for decades to come. And I I would tend to agree with that uh, uh, summation of, of the situation in Spain. That's that's crazy. Yeah, 24 unbeaten in the league. Whew, wow. Uh, what do you got? Uh, man of the match for me. First of all, uh, a film that I'm hugely excited about is coming out. Um, I was going to talk and wax poetic about how excited I am, but it's kind of pointless because I don't know how it's going to be able to be viewed in America or if we've even got rights yet for it. That's the film about the life of the recently dearly departed Jack Charlton. Uh, called Finding Jack Charlton, deals with his amazing career as an England World Cup winner and then what he did with the Republic of Ireland soccer team and his fight against dementia. So that's not out yet. So I guess I'll have to push that to a later pod. But the Scottish Premier League race, Andrew, right now, as we sit here, Rangers are top. They've played two games more, 15 games to Celtics 13, but they're 11 points clear. 
Uh, Celtic tied again at the weekend against the Burnian while Rangers hammered Aberdeen. This is all available on ESPN, ESPN Plus. And I think, Andrew, we are in for something really special here. I've said it before. Steven Gerrard may be the guy that stands between Celtic and immortality, the 10 in a row. It keeps trending this way. I know it's only November and Rangers have had leads before, before Celtic have just wiped them out and Rangers themselves have, have tripped up over their own feet. But right now, if I'm if, if you're looking for a title race, you're looking for something interesting, you might have one in England. Well, you probably certainly I have one. I think you do. Yeah, you probably certainly have one in Italy, but don't sleep on the historic nature of what's happening in Scotland. I'm waiting for this Celtic team to click into gear. It's not happening. Neil Lennon looks like he could get sacked by, I don't know, maybe the end of this week. The pressure is on him. Um, this is huge. And it's all available on ESPN Plus and you can watch it. There you go. Yeah, we got title races right now all over the globe, it would seem. Yeah, it seems to be the case. And that's 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 a good place for us to be considering uh, no fans in the stadium and we're all kind of in this weird pandemic lockdown state. Yeah, I mean, look, look. even in Germany right now, where we kind of thought it was always going to be Bayern's to lose, they are first, but Borussia Dortmund and Bayer Leverkusen are, are just one point off of them. Leipzig are just two points off. So, you know, I mean, everywhere you look right now, title races. Yeah, I expect in Germany we'll get to like March or April and then uh, Dortmund will have their usual implosion. They'll lose <laughs> three games and then draw two games against relegation candidates and Bayern will just romp home twirling a cane. There you go. Um, well, that uh, just about brings us to the end here, JJ, of this podcast. I'm kind of happy for it to end. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, I'm doing this in my room right now in front of a window, and I got to remember to bring sunglasses with me next time. It is exceedingly sunny out. I feel like I've gotten sunburned. I've been squinting. I can't see. My face is like a ghostly white. Have yeah. you? Has that been distracting for you? Uh, you do look. It's 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 amazing. It's almost like. There's a godly light shining on your face and you're about to ascend into heaven because you've been chosen by this light. It's uh, it at times it gets a bit creepy because it covers your beard and it's like, where's the rest of Andrew's face gone? Yeah. Sometimes I wonder, like last night I was driving home from work and I made I don't, I'm not a big phone guy, but, you know, I, I didn't have like a podcast that I was really feeling like listening to last night. So I was like, you know what? Let me make a phone call. I tried to make one call. No one answered. Another one. No one answered. Another one. No one answered. I, I went over three on calls. And then I was like, maybe I'll just sit here in silence. But like sometimes when, when that happens, I always have this brief moment where I'm like, maybe I'm Bruce Willis in Sixth Sense. Like maybe these calls, no one's answering because they're not actually happening. Maybe no. I'm not here. It's mainly because people are screening your calls because they don't oh. like you. <laughs> By the way, how many phone calls did you have to get to before you, you get to me as a number where you'd want to call me? Well, we had been texting throughout the day and I knew we were about to talk today and do the podcast. I didn't really have a, like these were calls with people I needed to catch up with that I hadn't, that I hadn't spoken to in a while. Like one of my best buddies uh, just got engaged. I needed to make like the formal phone call to, to congratulate him. But you don't care. You just you need to be like, you know, constant praise. Oh, JJ, I I couldn't wait to get in the car and speak to you and hear your voice. It means everything to me. I, I'm not going to lie. I need that constant validation from every source in my life, including you, Andrew. <laughs> By the way, before we go, can I ask yeah. you, can I ask a quick question? Sure. Do you think that people, listeners to the podcast would like to watch a game with us? Do you think that's something they'd like to do? Like, Well, we're in a COVID world. So uh, we're no, but I mean. 
I mean, virtually, we'd be there in some kind of chat room or hosting room when there's a game on and they'd be able to watch the game with us in that sense. Do you um, think? I believe that they will, now that you've introduced this idea on the show, I didn't even know about this myself. I didn't prep you at all, no. No, you certainly didn't. Uh, I believe that they will say they want to and then we'll do it and we'll we'll find out that it was actually kind of more like not as much fun as whatever they were expecting it to be. That's, that is my prediction for how that will go. <laughs> it's always the negative with you today. Today you've, 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 you've basically complained about predictions we made months ago. You've, you, you've got annoyed by sunshine yeah. and now you believe people aren't going to bother. They're not going to enjoy spending time with us. Anyway, listen, if you think you would I'm, see the thing, the problem for me is I'm kind of over the zoom hangout, right? I'm kind of just done with that. Now, if this is a thing you want to do, then yeah, well, I'll certainly try it. I'm not saying it won't be fun, but like if I like I saw somebody, I forget who it was, but somebody tweeted to, earlier today. I saw they said, when this is over, I'm deleting Zoom. Yeah. Like that, that's where I'm at. I don't want to do this stuff over Zoom anymore. I want to be with people. Like it's right. just a well, we, different interaction. Yeah, I know. I know. But it's I, I just had memories of our Champions League get together, which was awesome, where what so many supporters. Know. Of our listeners of the podcast turned out. Listen, all I'll say is if you're listening to this right now, get on Twitter and retweet the link to this episode. And if we get like a hundred retweets, I will I will do this. I, I Andrew won't do it. He, he No no he, no, I will absolutely do it. All right. A hundred retweets and we'll virtually watch a game with people. That's what we need to get to, folks. Wow. And there it is. JJ just on the fly introducing major ideas that probably need to go up through many different uh, gates of approval before this could actually happen, but no, no, no. He's taken it upon himself. He is that kind of renegade. Look, I at am, the, I am the CEO, CEO of this organization, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny that you think that. Well, hey, I hope you have a beautiful <laughs> Thanksgiving. I hope all your dreams come true. I hope your turkey is amazing. I hope your stuffing is is like you've never been stuffed before. Uh, your mashed potatoes are mashed in a way that is glorious um, and beautiful. Could you not just give thanks to our listeners for sticking with us through this pandemic and for being absolutely awesome rather than turning it into some kind of food porn? No, I have to go that route. This was fun, man. Our thanks to Doug McIntyre. More MLS games tonight should be fun to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, man.